good to see each of you this morning, and uh, I want to express my appreciation to Brother Jamie Brock for teaching my class this last Wednesday evening. Uh, I was privileged to be with the Mount Leo brethren this past Wednesday evening, and I, the reason why I mention that is because this Wednesday evening I will be gone as well <clears throat> to speak at the West Fayetteville Congregation where Brother David Sane preaches and Brother Winford Claiborne works with them as well. And uh, Brother Sane called me several months ago and asked me if I would speak on the topic of Jesus, our Advocate. I told him I would be glad to do so. And also, I asked him what all he wanted me to discuss. He said, I really want you to preach on 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. So this morning, you're going to get to be the guinea pig. Uh, and this morning, I went back through my lesson I really don't think I'll finish this morning, but if I do, then we will uh, study tonight our new series I want to begin on favorite Bible passages, but if not, then we'll continue our lesson this evening. The theme of their series, which I think was important for me to mention this morning, is Behold the Lamb, talking about looking at Jesus and that's a very important thought because too many people today have a perverted view of who Jesus really is. They think of Jesus in a number of different ways. And in our society today, there are many people who look at Jesus as a great teacher like many other great teachers throughout history. We shouldn't be surprised at that. When Jesus went up to the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, we read in verse 12, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. There's a lot of people today in this world in which you and I live who look at Jesus as being a great man. I will tell you there are more now than there used to be who are willing to say that Jesus is not a great teacher. He was only a deceiver. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and he called upon the people to make up their mind with regards to God. He said to all the people, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. We need to make up in our minds, each of us, that Jesus Christ is Lord. First Peter 3 and verse 15 says, But sanctify in your hearts Christ Jesus as Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of hope that is within you, yet with meekness and fear. We need to be the kind of people who know what we believe, and stand for what we believe. But what about Jesus as our advocate? I want to begin this morning with a few illustrations. I want you to think in a personal way about having Jesus as our advocate. The first one, I want you to imagine you and your wife or you and your husband go out for a very nice evening at a restaurant. Maybe it's your anniversary maybe one of your birthdays, the server brings your food, and then finally at the end, you know, you get that little part that's in that 
uh, slip and it gives you your bill, your receipt, and you hand them your credit card, your debit card, and then they come back and they say, I'm sorry, your card has been declined. You think about that for a moment. You may think, well, there's been a computer glitch somewhere. And so the next morning you get up and you go to your bank or you call them on the phone and you get this message, sir, you have no money in your account. None. Someone else has your identity and you are now thousands of dollars in debt. Would you like an advocate? What's your answer? I do. I want someone to help me. I want someone to plead my case for me. Let me give you a second illustration. You're going to make a trip. Maybe you're going to go on a Bible land trip. Brother Rodney drives a bus, and we get all the way to Atlanta, Georgia. You get off, and you go in there, and everybody's lining up at the ticket counter to present your tickets, to check in your luggage, and you get ready to check in your luggage, and they say, I'm sorry, I can't put you on this plane. You're on a no-fly list. You're going to begin saying, you got me confused with someone else. I am not a terrorist. I'm not someone doing something bad. Well, sir, you're going to have to step out of line. Would you like an advocate? Now, you let me ask, ask you, would you want one? Would you want someone to plead your case? Let's say, for instance, you work at a business, a company, where you have some level of responsibility, and you make a mistake. And in your choice of what you have done, you caused your company to lose $25,000. Your immediate supervisor or maybe your boss knows that you have lost now $25,000 for the company. But you have a very good friend who knows you really well, knows your heart, knows that you made no ill will in doing this, had no ill will in doing it knows your boss, the owner really well, and he comes to you and he says, would you like for me to intercede for you? Yes, I would. I don't want to lose my job. I want you to help me out. The truth is, do you need or do you want help? That's a key word there, help. This morning, what I would like for us to do is for you to keep your Bibles open at 1 John chapters 1 and 2. And I would like for us to look at some of the terms that are used. We're going to talk about them before we look at the text. And then finally we'll observe some teaching. Some terms, the text, and the teaching. Now, we're only going to look at three terms, but these are very important, and I don't believe we can fully appreciate the passage until we have explored what these words mean. One of them is very common, the word sin. And you'd say, well, everybody knows what sin is. Everybody understands that sin is violating God's law, but oh, but do they? couple times in the past couple of weeks we've had people who called here on the telephone and they would say 
My boyfriend and I are in the Brand X Hotel here. And we need someone to pay for us to have a couple of nights to stay in a hotel. And you try to explain to them, you say, your boyfriend, you're not married. The church cannot pay for you to live in fornication. What? What are you talking about? These people don't grasp the fact that they are living in sin. It just really doesn't dawn on them. So for us to talk about sin is extremely important because people sometimes today just don't understand what you're talking about. The primary word that is used here in John is a Greek word called hamartano. You, may not, you don't have to remember that. John, just in this short book, 1 John, uses the verb 10 times and the noun 17 times. I would say in a short five-chapter book where you only have very short chapters, that's a lot because John has a lot to say about it. The word means to miss the mark. It means to fail to reach the goal. It means to transgress. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, if you want to flip over that, it should only be one page in your Bible. He says, sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness means a disregard for God's law. As if there was no law there at all. We read it in the King James, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it like this. Everyone who commits sin is also breaks the law. Sin is breaking the law. I think we understand what that means. That means that God has a law and that I've broken it. That's what lawlessness is. That says God has a law, but I'm going to live as if there was no law there. Ultimately, all sin, every sin, is against God. You say, what do you mean by that? Psalms 51 David committed a number of sins. He committed sin with Bathsheba, adultery. He committed murder, Uriah. He numbered the children of Israel. Those are just three that I can enumerate. But David in Psalm 51 verse 4 says, Against you, you only have I sinned and have done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David understood that ultimately everything that you and I do violates, the sinful things, violates God's law. Genesis 39, verse 9. You remember Mrs. Potiphar? She cornered Joseph. She tried to persuade him to commit adultery, and he refused to do that. And here's the way he responded. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's whom he would be sinning against. You remember the prodigal son in Luke 15, 
how that he found himself in a far country, found himself hungry and depressed. He understood what he needed to do to correct things is to go back to his father. But here's the way he puts it. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer be worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now I begin to grasp the idea that sin itself is ultimately against God. The second word that I want to take notice of is the word advocate itself. And the word that is found here in English, advocate, only appears in our Bible one time. From Genesis to Revelation, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, one time. But the original word is found in four other places. And it's found in John 14, 15, and 16. And I'm going to take you to each of those passages. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. If you want to underline the word helper there, that's the word. Verse 26 of that same chapter. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now I know who the Helper, the Comforter is. It's the Holy Spirit. I can go a little bit further to John 15 and verse 26. And he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then in chapter 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So I understand in John 14, 15 and 16, the word there, Helper, refers to this same person. The King James calls him Comforter. The New King James calls him helper. It's found one time in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Job chapter 16, verse 2. I think it's valuable to see it there. You remember Job's three friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar? They came and sat down with Job to try to encourage him in his time of difficulty, time of trouble. He needed some help. He needed somebody to... I guess you'd say just be there with him while he was having such a hard time. But rather than their offering encouraging words, they started accusing Job of saying, Job, the only reason why you're suffering is because you must have done something grievously wrong or God would not be punishing you like this. And so Job's response is, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters... Are you all? You're not really good at doing a job of comforting. You know, I've sometimes seen people in the hospital and someone comes to offer them a word of encouragement to try to lift their spirits. And by the time that the person leaves, they think they're on their deathbed about ready to, you know, be wheeled out. Sometimes they don't do a very good job of comforting. And these friends did not, Joseph, or Job, excuse me. But the root word here, is found 
109 times in the Bible. Five times it was found in the form that we were discussing, but the verb form, this root word here, is translated in the King James as beseech. I beseech you therefore, brethren. That's that word. The New King James translates it as begged when it's in the active voice. When it's in the passive voice, it's translated encouraged or comforted. The noun is found 29 times and is translated consolation or exhortation. For instance, you know, Barnabas was called the son of consolation or the son of exhortation because he was that kind of a person, a great encourager. But now let me explain to you so you how you can... You can understand it here in its context. In the Gospel of John, it is the Holy Spirit acting on behalf of Christ for the apostles. Here is Christ. He's sending the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit to do? He is to help the apostles by bringing all things the Lord taught to their remembrance, by guiding them into all the truth. But when I go to 1 John, it is Christ who is the helper, who is the advocate on behalf of man to the Father. Do you see the distinction between those? One is the Holy Spirit is sent to guide the apostles. Jesus is sent or there on our behalf before the Father to help us, to beseech, to beg, to plead, to encourage for us. Third word, propitiation. I dare say that most of you do not use that word in your normal manner of speech. I would say there's probably not 10% of us can spell it correctly because that's one of the words we generally don't use. It's an often overlooked term in the Bible. You come across that term, it's a big long word, you read over it. But the original word means an atoning sacrifice, a sin offering. It essentially means the means of forgiveness. Let me illustrate it to you in practical terms so we can understand it. Here are two friends who become at odds with one another. One says something, one does something to the other, and they're no longer right with one another. And someone says, I want to get us to work this out. The one who is offended says, you know what? If he will come and apologize to me, that will make it right. So we understand correctly, apologizing will make everything all right. Yes, it will. So he comes and he says, I'm sorry, I did not know what I had said, what I'd done, how severe it was, but I want you to know I apologize. I'm sorry for what I've done. The apology is the means for the forgiveness. It's that which satisfies both sides so they can be one again, so they can be right again. 
Jesus is the propitiation for our sins because He satisfied what it took to make us right with God again. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the verb form is used. Therefore in all things He had to be made like to His brethren that He might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to provide the means of forgiveness. And you know what that was. That was his blood. In doing this, Jesus and the Father provide something that's just remarkable. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 25 and 26. Because you might think that God would say, you know, these sins that man has committed, they don't count. But if God did that, he wouldn't be just. He would allow things like this to just pass and not demand a payment for them. That's not the way God does things. He is a just God. God also wants things to be right, and so he is willing to provide what it takes to make things right. So here's what Paul says. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his, that is God's righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be, and here's the key words, just and justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. God is just. He didn't allow sins to go unpunished. But God was also the justifier in that he provided Jesus as the sacrifice that made things right. The best way I can illustrate that to you in a personal way is a father who looks at his son and says, Son, you borrowed a thousand dollars from me. That thousand dollars has got to be paid. We've got to satisfy that debt. But here's a thousand dollars to pay it. You say, well, he provided it. Why didn't he just... Because he wanted to see the debt paid. He wanted to understand there was a debt that was owed. But he also provided the means for it. Folks, that's what propitiation is all about. Seeing the justice of God and seeing the mercy of God as well. I'm about 10% of the way through. And I've got 10 minutes. Don't you know what I'm going to do Wednesday night? What I'm going to do, I'm actually going to begin our lesson. And we'll probably take the first point, and then we'll extend the invitation, and then we'll come back tonight and finish this up. I want you to listen carefully as we begin with verse 8 of 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. I hope that taking the time to look at those terms help that passage jump out at you. Because what I want us to look at now are some of the aspects of this passage. And really we're going to have to back up to the first part of the chapter as well. And we're going to look at three things in the text. The first one is the admission of guilt. Am I guilty? Let me ask you a question. Are you guilty of sin? First of might say, well, uh, I don't know. I can tell you what the answer is. Yes, you're guilty of sin. I'm guilty of sin. And the very first thing is a person has to do is to declare it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've got to be willing to admit what I have done. So many times. We don't want to have to own up to what we've actually done, folks. But the truth is, we've got to own it. We've got to confess it. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The world today is full of people who say, I haven't sinned, I've not done anything wrong. We could spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. There's a generation pure in their own eyes, and yet are not washed from their filthiness. James talks about a man who goes and looks in a mirror, and he sees what he looks like. And then he walks away and he forgets what kind of man he is. Do you know there's a lot of people who are deceiving themselves into thinking, it's okay, I don't have to worry about this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We're essentially denying what God has said about us. God has said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good and sins not. And we're saying, well, I haven't. We're denying the very words of God. Let me explain to you how this fits together here. You go back to verse 3. John says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. 
You drop down to verse 6. And he says, if a man here walks in darkness and says he has fellowship with God, he's lying. Verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, going back to verse 3, verses 6 and 7, it's about the fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. We're, we're seeking a divine relationship. We're seeking to be able to be acceptable to God. But before I can ever be acceptable to God, I've got to be willing to admit that I am a sinner in need of salvation. The problem is too many people pretend sin doesn't exist. Too many other people mock as if it's not a big deal. Proverbs 14 verse 9 says, Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The very first thing that you observe in this passage is admission of guilt. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you guilty? You're standing before a judge and you're guilty. Do you want an advocate? Do you want somebody to plead your case and in fact say, I'll pay the penalty for him so he won't have to pay anything? How much is his fine, judge? $1,000. I'll pay it. Do you want an advocate like that? That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he's done for you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to turn your back on him? Are you going to ignore him? This morning, we're going to sing this invitation song. And the purpose of it is to encourage you, me, all of us. If there's not... If there's sin in our lives or something not right, now's the time for me to confess it and ask for God's forgiveness. You're not a Christian. This is a time for you to come and say, I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've done. I'm repenting. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I want my sins forgiven. Okay, well then you be baptized for the remission of those sins. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?